Quickly, I'm just going to review last week. If you weren't here last week, you gotta, you gotta get the uh, message because, because it's just I don't have time to explain it all this morning. Let's just put it that way. But we did a little bit of understanding of the word righteousness, and we talked about how the modern understanding of it is moral purity, goodness, virtue. When we hear the word righteousness, we think of that. We think of though in those terms. But the, the New Testament Greek meaning of, of the word uh, DK is that it has to do with a person's state of being, their alignment with their calling, their purpose, and their assignment. That it's about holisticness. It's about being a person who knows who they are in him, and they're able to walk that out. That that's really what the word has its root of meaning in. And when we look at the scripture with this kind of fresh understanding, then we see scriptures making a lot more sense, like Jesus' baptism. When John, Jesus told John we had to do this to fulfill all righteousness. It doesn't make any sense if we're talking moral purity because Jesus is already completely morally pure. There was no, everybody say no, no sin in him. So there was, if by righteousness that's what we mean, then this verse makes no sense at all. But if it's about calling and destiny and purpose, it makes perfect sense. John's calling and destiny was, was to, to call people toward the coming Christ, and it was coming to an end. Jesus coming to John and saying, we need to do this because we're making a transition. I'm stepping into my calling and purpose. All good, right? Makes perfectly good sense. And so if we apply this modern definition of righteousness to the text, it makes little sense. But when we get it, we get it. So you cannot be righteous, and I, I, I wipe round it down by saying without submitting to God's authority and walking in accordance with his, uh, the authority that God has placed upon you. And that is why at its foundation, righteousness is first about position, standing, obedience, submission, and authority, and only secondly about uh, purity and morality. All right? And uh, God has called us to live then as children of God and that we've been redeemed to be righteous. So... Then I, I have people say to me, well, does that not mean that holiness, does that mean that holiness doesn't matter? That, that purity doesn't matter? It does matter, all right? Uh, Hebrews uh, 12, 14 says, pursue peace with all men and holiness, without which, what? No one will see God. So, of course, it does matter. It does matter. However, even our understanding and use of the word holiness is kind of a misnomer because the word holy has as its first meaning set apart, not purity. So I remember uh, listening to uh, uh, Tommy Barnett preach about this. And he says, he says, I have a holy suit. This is my holy suit. And he said, why is it holy? Not because it's pure. He said, but because it's set apart. I only preach in this suit. That's all I use it for. I don't wear this suit to go to business meetings. I only wear this suit when I'm preaching. It's a holy suit. It is set apart. The, the things that were in the tabernacle in the wilderness were holy, not because they were somehow made of the uh, some kind of material that was pure or better than anything else, but they were set apart for one purpose and one purpose only. That was the use for worshiping God. So holy means first and foremost to be set apart, not to be pure. Does everybody get that? All right. So let me conclude this review this way. God desires us to be righteous, which is properly aligned, so that we can be holy, that is set apart for his purpose. Not bad, huh? Come on now. Does everybody get that? God, and, and, and God makes us righteous through Jesus Christ, and he wants us to walk in that righteousness. He wants us to be properly aligned so that we can be set apart for his purpose. So we need to get ourselves in alignment with him. 
so that we can fulfill the purpose he has for us. Does that make any sense? How many love to walk in your purpose? Right? It's a phenomenal thing. There's nothing worse than being all your life a square peg in a round hole. Right? Uh, I remember how John Maxwell said, he said, there's nothing worse in life, he said, than climbing the ladder of success only to discover it was leaning against the wrong building. In other words, you spent all that energy, invested all of that time, all of that work to climb this uh, world's idea of success only to find out you were a square peg in a round hole. You didn't fit. It wasn't you. You spent your whole life pursuing something that wasn't you. All right, am I making any sense to anybody? All right, thank you, Tori. Appreciate it so much. Praise the Lord. She says, yes, pastor, you're making sense. Hallelujah. All right, now, I'm going to shift a little bit then, okay? I told you we were going to get pretty practical over the next number of weeks as we start talking about grace, and this topic of righteousness is one of them. I got a couple more messages about righteousness that we have to look at. And uh, today, uh, I want to share with you and expand a little bit on something I shared as one of uh, our points that my wife and I gave to our core meeting at the beginning of the month. And uh, I wanted to expand on it because it's, it's, it's something that is deeply important to the body of Christ. So Father, I just ask for your help today as I've got 22 minutes <laughs> to talk about this today. Father, I pray for your grace. You know I need it. Uh, and Father, I ask you to help me and guide me as we talk about this in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the things that God taught me over 20 years ago, and it was a hard lesson for this guy, as I just mentioned at the beginning of when I got talking here about the rational mind and me being a very cerebral, very rational kind of person, um, I loved to argue. I still love to argue. <laughs> but I only, do it, I only do it if I know the person really well and we've got relationship and we're going to have fun with it and we can, we can walk away friends at the end of it. Because if we can't, I'm not going to do the arguing anymore. And the reason I won't is because the relationship is more important than the argument. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? <laughs> so. So I don't want to go down that road if it's going to cause that kind of issue. And so I, this is what I learned. I learned that it's better to be righteous than it is to be right. I learned that it's better to be righteous in proper alignment with him than it is to be right. And I'd love to be right, you know. Well, some of you are looking at me like, really? That's kind of you know, nasty, really? Would you rather be wrong all the time? I mean... Of course we want to be right. I don't want to walk around life going, oh, I'm just wrong again today, wrong again, Hadley, wrong again. No, we want to be right. And I loved being right. It was empowering to be right. And so uh, I loved it. And, uh, you know, but it's, it's difficult to be right today. We live in the most politically correct age ever. And everything you say gets challenged by somebody here or there. And, and everybody's got an opinion and everything is fueled uh, and all those opinions are not fueled by rationality anymore. We live in the most, uh, literally the most emotional generation, I think, we've ever lived in, which is both good and bad. It means that logic doesn't prevail very often, but it does mean 
that these people have emotions and they haven't shut them off. And, and when Jesus connects with somebody, what's he connect with? Their emotions. See? So it's got a good side to it. It's not all bad, right? It's not all bad. But it's, it's tough and it can make... It can make, you know, walking and stating things and whatever, uh, you know, like a minefield some days. And, uh, and in many ways, uh, political correctness has supplanted Judeo-Christian morality as the most desirable individual quality in our society today. Does anybody, does that, everybody understand what I just said? It's supplanted, it's replaced it as the most desirable quality in a person. It's replaced it. And, you know, in some ways I can understand that. I'm going to go out on a limb today, and I'm going to talk just for a brief second about abortion. state of Alabama just passed legislation uh, shutting down abortion, right? And you can go to jail for what was it? What was it, Tori? 99 days or 99 years, I should say, or something? 99 years for uh, doing an abortion. I don't, I'm, a, I'm a, a person who loves life. So I'm, I'm, I'm opposed to abortion. But I like to be known as being for life, not opposed to abortion. And, uh, but here's the thing I also know. And that, just hear me out. Please hear me out this morning. I'm, I'm happy if legislation results in saved lives. Because abortion is the biggest, I think, the biggest scourge in our culture. But let's think about something here. Most of the people who go for abortions do so because they're in terribly difficult circumstances. Right? Often forced by parents or a boyfriend or uh, a lover or economic reasons and all the rest of it. So, whereas I'm, I'm happy that lives will be saved, I, I think that there's, there's a way to approach this that we approach it from life. Instead of just going from all of a sudden abortion's legal and all of a sudden abortion's illegal. How about we, we go say, we, we start with, as a, as a legislative body, we pass legislation today and we say that we recognize that life begins at conception. That we recognize today that, that a fetus is a human being in a different stage of development. And that all people deserve to be protected and loved. And so from this day forward, we are going to do everything we can to help a woman who is in a situation where she feels like abortion is her only option, to, to educate our society, our culture, our people, to love that woman, to encourage that woman, to bless that woman, to protect that woman, to do everything we can to, to work with her so that when she comes to the same revelation that this inside me is a life, that she wants to save that life as well, give it up for adoption, do whatever she can, that she can provide the best for that life because she sees it's a life. Rather than just go, bam, you go to jail and you're a bad person. Right? How about if we approach it the way Jesus would approach it? That we would affirm life. And oh, do we need to affirm it. And don't get me wrong, I mean, what's going on there? I mean, look what's in Canada. We have no abortion laws in Canada. It's a free-for-all. But we have to be able to do these things in a way that we understand, that shows that we are understanding compassionately the situations that people are in, the decisions they're being forced to make. And that we come alongside them and we don't just speak a condemning word, but we speak a loving word and a compassionate word and an offer to help. Do you hear what I'm saying this morning? 
And so people want to drag me into the debate and say, oh, you know, it's terrible what Alabama's doing. And I, to those people, I say, well, I mean, if you, if you saw your neighbor getting beat to death, would you step in and stop the person? Or would you just take pictures of it and send it to your friend and say, isn't that awful? No, you'd step in to do something about it. So if as a Christian, I honestly believe abortion is murder, should I do something about it? Or should I just say, oh, that's awful? I should do something about it. But if that person that is bringing harm to this child is also in pain, should I not be doing something for them? Am I making any sense to anybody here this morning? Should I not be loving that person, helping that person, walking with that person, doing everything I can to lead them to a place where they recognize the gift that's in them and they want to give it life as well? Is anybody hearing me this morning? It's all for free this morning. None of that's my notes. I just had to go there. All right. I think that's how we, how we can be right and righteous at the same time. Right? I mean, I think scientifically it's not hard to say that we're on the right side of the abortion debate. I mean, it's becoming more difficult even for people who don't believe in God to procure an abortion because they scientifically realize, how can I save a, a bald eagle's egg and abort a child? Right? The, the, the logic is there for you. You know that this is a human being in another stage of development, just like you know a bald eagle's egg is an eagle in another stage of development. But we have a commission from Jesus to approach this topic with his love and people who are in these situations with love and to help them in the most difficult decision they're ever making to come to a decision of life with our support, with our help, with our strength, and with everything within us. And if we find out that they've, they've had an abortion or that they went through with it, well, how are we supposed to respond? With forgiveness and love and support so that they're never faced with that circumstance again. Am I making any sense to anybody? All right, I'm going to get off that topic this morning and say, you know, pastors, we don't avoid the tough ones. We just, it just takes time. You can't just make a statement, I'm against this, I'm against that. No, you have to be able to talk with people and engage people. And unfortunately, on either side of the spectrum, nobody wants to talk anymore. All they want to do is just spew rhetoric. And I hate rhetoric. What's that? <laughs> no, thank you. That's not my arena. <laughs> I, I, you know, anyway, don't even get me started on that topic. <laughs> exactly. Don't, I, you know, as my dad used to say, son, if you don't have anything good to say, don't say anything at all. So I'm just going to zip my mouth shut and be quiet right now. You know. <laughs> Thank you. Take all the prayer I can get every day. All right. So when we live in this society which is, you know, focused on being right, being right, and, and tribalism, and everybody, we're broke down to the smallest little categories, and everybody's arguing about who's right and all the rest of it, isn't it refreshing to step into that realm and to act righteously instead? And to be more concerned about being in alignment with God than I am about having to be right. Does everybody understand what I'm talking about? And the first way to get to that step is to acknowledge that I'm not always right. Everybody say that. I'm not always right. Say it again with meaning. Now say it with conviction like you believe it. <laughs> I'm not always right. I know, I know you're saying, but pastor, I usually am. Maybe you are, but you're not always right. I mean, I know I'm usually right, but I'm not always right. And when I learned that, it was a liberating truth in my life when I learned that I'm not always right. 
You know, I still think I'm usually right, but I'm not always right. And the first step toward being able to walk in righteousness rather than rightness is to admit that I'm not always right. Anybody ever been to Westboro Baptist uh, webpage? Um, if you, if you, it, it's both at the same time the most humorous webpage and saddest webpage on planet Earth. It is a church that believes that they're right about everything. And, uh, and their webpage is set up that they, they put all this condemning stuff out there. And then, you know how a webpage like the Globe Mail or whatever have counters down the right-hand side? Of, it'll say 65, you know, the number of people that this, or 1,000, whatever, the number of people that this, and then they'll give you the statistic. So their webpage is, you know, all statistics about how many people are going doing this and how many people are doing that, how many people are going to hell. They've even got a clock counter on their webpage counting all the people that are going to hell while you're on their webpage. I'm not making this up, all right? And so anyway, anyway, then, then they have that count down the side, and then the bottom statistic is zero. And it says, zero hours of sleep that we will lose over what you think about us. So I was like, okay, there you go. They've pretty much covered all the bases. But, you know, there's a group of people that is the absolute worst reflection of Christianity, I think, that you can possibly get. Because they are, are, are speaking from a position of having to be right rather than to be righteous. Right? And they're convinced that they're right. They're convinced. But they're not acting righteously. They're not acting righteously. Am I making sense? Now, Jesus <clears throat> never focused on being politically correct. Jesus was the most politically incorrect person there was. Uh, you know, Jesus ended up getting together with prostitutes and, and, and tax collectors and stuff, something that if you were a religious Jew, you just did not do, right? Jesus did all the politically incorrect things of his day. And by his standards, Jesus, by the conventional standards of the day, Jesus was often not right. He was not doing the right thing. But you have to understand that Jesus was always righteous. Jesus was always in proper alignment. In fact, he says, it, I am here to do the will of who? My Father. He was always righteous, always in perfect alignment with the Father. I'm here to do the will of the one who sent me. Right? You follow me? So Jesus, even though he was sinless perfection righteous, he was also perfect alignment righteous. He was always doing what the Father commissioned him to do. He was completely righteous all of the time. And because of that... It's why I had to conclude in my life that it's definitely better to be righteous than it is to be right. It's definitely better. Jesus lived righteously. He died righteously. He, he ended up giving his final breath in perfect alignment with the Father. Right? Everything about Jesus uh, was, was righteous. And the focus of remaining in his righteousness rather than seeking always to be right, I discovered was quite liberating in my life. Seriously. When I finally got to this place, I had a freedom that I had not had in my life. And uh, why was I free? Why is this a great liberating thing? I'm going to give you four reasons why it is today. And I've got exactly seven minutes to give you four reasons. All right, so here we go. Number one, it keeps you away from pride. Focusing on being righteous rather than being right keeps you from pride. 
It's easy as a believer when you've discovered something or, or uncovered something that's true and it's a revelation and you know it's right and it's easy to get so focused on communicating it to everybody with passion and with everything else and you know you're on to something. I know I'm right about this, Pastor. All right? And to have such conviction about it and to be completely unrighteous in the way you communicate it. And to turn off thousands of people from the love of the Father. You might be right, but you're being completely unrighteous. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? I did it in my life all the time. I did it in my life all the time. And the problem with it is that when you walk this way, always having to be right, it invites a life of pride. Because you become so proud to know that I have got the truth. Now the problem with being right is that when you think you're right, it means that everybody else who disagrees with you is what? Hello. And that just takes you to a whole other level of pharisaical pride. All right? Everybody else is wrong. I'm right. I'm right. In fact, you can't even say it with your shoulders slunched over and your face down to the floor. You have to look up and go, I'm right. I'm right. But when we focus on being righteous instead, when we're focused on our alignment and our assignment and not on everybody else and how they're wrong, it keeps us freed up from pride. It helps us to avoid the pitfall of pride. All right, the second thing that it does, conversely, protects us from shame. If you always have to be right, what happens on that rare occasion then when you're wrong? What happens on that rare occasion when somebody comes along and actually proves that you are wrong? How do you deal with that? And you're like, well, there's never any time I've ever been proven that I was wrong, so I don't know what you're talking about, Pastor. We'll go back to the last point. You're walking a level of pride that it's a wonder your head fit through those double doors back there. But I'm serious. What happens when you encounter a situation where you are proven wrong? Well, now you feel shame. Just the same kind of shame you feel as if all of a sudden you sinned and you knew that sin was wrong. You feel shame. You feel filthy. You feel dirty. Well, when you always have to be right and all of a sudden now you're not right about something and somebody proves you wrong and usually those kinds of proofs come with a lot of humility uh, mixed in that you weren't looking for and you feel a lot of weight and a lot of shame. I've had it happen. I've had it happen where I was arguing with somebody and then I, that person, you know, proved that I, to me that I was wrong or something happened that I saw how wrong I was or worse yet, I just happened to realize how hurtful my need to be right was and then how wrong I was and the shame. So learning, you know, experiencing the liberty of not having to always be right, but to be righteous frees you from shame as well. It sets you free from all that pain and all of that hurt and all of that weight that you have to walk around with in shame. I can be talking to somebody now who completely disagrees with me, and you know what? And I can let them walk away, and they're going to know two things. They're going to know, yes, I disagree, that this is what I think. They're also going to know that I love them. I'm not going to shy back down from my opinions or my value systems. I'm not asking you to compromise that. This is not about giving up about what you believe. Hello? But it is saying to yourself, when that person walks away from me, they'll know what I think, but they'll also know that I love them. Hello? And therefore, because I accomplished both of those things, I don't have to hang my head in shame. And if I was proven wrong, they also knew that I loved them, so they're not going to be coming back and going, See you, arrogant little blah, 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 you were wrong. No, because I didn't act that way, so they're not going to do that, and there's going to be no shame. Am I making any sense to anybody so far? Nod your head, say, that's right. All right. Third thing, it makes me more tolerant. 
Now, I was like, could I find another word? Because, you know, tolerance is one of those words that's overused today, and it's used so much that, uh, you know, everybody on the right hates it, and everybody on the left uses it as their, their badge, right? And neither one of them are using it appropriately. Do you understand what I'm saying? But, uh, so it's overworked, and its, and its value's been stripped away, and it's being used as a weapon, but I've... Let me put it just simply to you this way. I've come to a place in my life where I'm far less critical of other people. In fact, the more I know what I believe, and, I, and, and the more deeply I believe it, the empowered I've become to be less critical of those who disagree with me. How does that happen? Don't you have to compromise what you believe to? No, no you don't. I can love people. And I, in fact, I get a special high at loving people that that either disagree with me or, as Jesus said, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Does that not sound biblical to you? There's a level of tolerance that few Christians even want to talk about. Loving those who hate you and your enemies and blessing those who curse you. Really? That's especially difficult, Jesus. Yes, no one ever said that the gospel was easy. Uh, you know, it's easy to receive, and what it does for us is phenomenal, but to live it out, <laughs> sometimes it can be very tough, you know. <laughs> uh, is it possible to love the lost and let God do the convicting? Just throw that out there. Is it possible? Uh, I think so. I think so. In fact, I think it's the way that works the best. I focus on loving people rather than telling them how they're wrong. I love to go to Starbucks and I pick the one where the, I knew the most heathens were. I don't mean that in a condemning way. They just, they, just don't need, they just don't know Jesus yet, right? So why did I pick that place to go? Because they don't know Jesus yet, right, Tori? Jo- Tori does know Jesus, so I'm not using, she's not one of the employees that doesn't know Jesus yet, but Tori does know Jesus. But, but why do I go there? I go there because they don't know Jesus yet. Because I'm supposed to be light and salt, Right? And so they all love me in there, you know, and I love them. I'm leaving the place and they're saying, bye, see you later, Kevin, right? You know, why? Because, uh, you know, I don't stand up and preach to them, but they they know that I'm I'm a pastor. What kind of pastor do they know they am? They know I'm I'm one that's involved in a homeless shelter, and so they're helping me get stuff together for the homeless. That's what they know about me, right? They know that I'm a pastor who loves coffee, so they're willing to make me the best cup of coffee I can get every morning. Right? See, they know these things about me. And they know that this is the type of faith I have. And so they want to partner with that. Even though they don't know Jesus yet. Isn't that exciting? Hello. And I've had some pretty heavy-duty conversations with people there. And, uh, and they're willing to listen to what I have to say. Even if they don't agree with me, we walk away still loving each other. Because we're acting righteously. And I've got one minute left. One minute to give you my last point. Are you ready? Here it is. It makes us more forgiving. If we can can focus on being righteous, being in alignment with God, rather than being right, it makes us more forgiving. You know what? It makes us more forgiving. Why can I forgive? It's real simple. I'm able to forgive because I look at my life and I realize how much Jesus has forgiven me. Oh, man, when I realize how much he's forgiven me, I have no problem forgiving other people. None. Because I I realize he forgave me a lot. A lot. 
and I love the Apostle Paul. He was a champion of this. Paul, Paul said it better than anybody. Paul said, you know, when it comes to sinners, I'm chief. In other words, I was the number one sinner on the planet, and God called me. Why did Paul forgive? Because he realized he'd been forgiven more than any human being that he knew. He forgave. So how much did I forgive others? Lots. And the closer they are to us, the more forgiving we should be. It's amazing how sometimes we have forgiveness for the person who comes in off the street that was a thief or that or whatever, but the person sitting in the pew beside us, we, have, we just hold those grudges forever and ever. Amen. No room for it. You know, I've, I've not met a church yet that, was, that perished because of an attack from the enemy on the outside. They all came from the inside. Every single one of them. Maybe you know a church that, you know, it was because of the attack from the outside, but all the ones I know, it was usually the spirit of offense. Didn't like something the preacher said or the pastor said or a board member said or an elder said or a Sunday school teacher said or somebody did or somebody whatever. Blah, 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 blah. Forgive. Forgive. Get over yourself. You're not really that important compared to everybody else. You're only as important as everybody else. And they're as important as you. We cannot conquer the enemy unless we work, back to the Raptors illustration at the beginning, <laughs> together. We are going to win together. We're going to win as we support one another. We back one another up. We have one another's back. We go into battle and into the areas of service in our community, covering one another, watching out for one another, speaking positive for one another. And if we disagree with one another, loving each other through the disagreement until we can find a solution together. There is no room in the body of Christ to just agree to disagree. We have to do more than that. We have to love each other and support each other even as we agree to disagree. Right? You can't just agree to disagree and walk away and then not love each other. Love needs to be in there. All right. That's it. I'm done. I'm one, two minutes over. Remember, it's better what? It's, say it again. It's better. better to be righteous than right. One more time. All right, stand together this morning. We got hot dogs to eat. Hallelujah. Man, being chased out the back door by hot dogs. <laughs> it's, it's, it's an awful predicament.